Welcome to Across the Pond, a Christian commentary on the way of Jesus in the world today with the co-founders of Red Letter Christians, Dr. Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. Red Letter Christians gets its name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red, and we are aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. Some episodes of this podcast have been adapted from our radio show, Across the Pond, which airs on Sunday afternoons in the UK on Premier Radio. Thank you for listening. Let's jump into this week's episode with Shane Claiborne. Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and the name of the show is Across the Pond. I'm over here on the U.S. side of the pond, the big ocean, and we are, I think, in a critical moment in our country, maybe in our world, y'all, where there's a lot of people uh, who are aware that the world that we're living in is really fragile and that our faith uh, is not just a ticket into heaven. And, a, and an excuse to ignore the world we, we live in, but that our faith actually causes us to care uh, not just about heaven and hell, but the hells that people are living in right now, the things that are hurting them and crushing their dignity and their hope. Uh, so I'm so glad that you could join us, and it's going to be a great conversation today. I've got a, a new friend of mine and a special guest, uh, Demetrius Minor. And let me introduce you, bro, before uh, you say hey to everybody here. He is, he's done all kinds of stuff. He's worked um, with in different coalitions and partnership with the NAACP and the Urban League. He worked with uh, Florida for Americans for Prosperity, uh, the, for, for coalitions down there. But right now, the work that he's doing that I've connected with him on is with the Equal Justice USA, EJ, EJ USA, and conservatives concerned about the death penalty. Um, so first, I want to introduce you to my friend and my brother, Demetrius Minor. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, Shane. It's so great to be with you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm excited to dig in and I'm just very appreciative of all the work that you do. Yeah, man, you too. And I don't know if I got all that bio stuff right, but I, I think, you know, beyond all the, you got a really beautiful bio. You've done some amazing stuff, mobilizing conservatives and looking at systemic flaws in the criminal justice system. But, you know, beyond the 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 little bio paragraph here, you are a man of faith. And, you know, in, in yes, sir. Red Letter Christians and all the work that we're doing, we kind of see this as a web of friends that love Jesus and care about justice. So I want you to introduce, you know, tell people a little bit more and tell me a little bit more about your own faith journey, sure. man, and yourself. Sure. Uh, you know, and um, it's what we do for Christ that, that, that will truly last throughout eternity. And that will be the most meaningful and the most impactful. Um, <clears throat> my father was a pastor. Um, he pastored in Germany um, when he was uh, in the military, Germany and Korea, and then also um, pastored in Georgia. So I've been a preacher's kid. Uh, I'm, I'm a preacher myself. Um, August of next year will actually make it 20 years uh, since I've been preaching the gospel, which is hard to believe because I don't look a day over 21. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I, I've been I've been in the Christian journey. I got for a long time. I got saved at the age of seven. 1992 in Dayton, Ohio, Apostolic Lighthouse Church. I still remember it as though it was yesterday. Mm. And throughout the journey of faith, it is also um, been intertwined with politics and policy. 
mostly from a faith perspective. And um, during that walk, I, I have been challenged uh, by the word of God to reevaluate mm-hmm. beliefs and stance that I had that were American and Westernized, but not necessarily aligned with scripture, which is yes. a very dangerous situation to be in because Shane, you know this, but there's a tendency of with those in Western culture to think that Jesus is an American and he's not. Uh, his viewpoints transcend American culture, Westernized mm. culture. And so throughout that journey, I've been trying to uh, make sure that I'm aligned with scripture to, to reevaluate myself, to make sure that I'm not just coming across simply as American, but that I'm loving people the way Jesus wants me to love them. I'm treating people the way Jesus wants me to treat them. And it's been quite a journey. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes it blesses and sometimes it blisters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the scripture says that God chastises those who he loves. So uh, in, in the times that I've experienced chastisement, maybe because of a belief or a stance that was American, but maybe not necessarily biblical, I'm appreciative of it because Christ is trying to make sure that I'm aligned perfectly with his word. Come on. I love it. You know, I, that, that scripture I've, I've clung to for a long time is the one that says we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, you know, fear and not, trembling. not a, not yeah. a moment, but a, a movement, you know, a conversion that's constantly yes. happening in us. And I, you know, I, I sometimes joke that if I met myself 20 years ago, I'm not sure how good we'd get along, you know, <laughs> some of these that's things good, like Shane. That, I'm, I'm the same way. These things He's, like the death penalty and things, you know, we're, we're always, it's Jesus that's yeah. kind of, shaping hopefully our, our imagination on these things and tell me a little bit more about you know the death penalty is not the only thing you're concerned about but yeah. you're spending a lot of energy on it and and um talk about why you know how that got to be something that you care about sure so um i became a conservative um probably around 2000 I was attracted to George W. Bush when he was running for president and he ran on the platform of being a compassionate conservative. And I'm like, okay, that's different. I, I, I like that message, having compassion for your fellow man. And um, um, I looked at the, the conservative platform and it just aligned with me morally, um, being pro-life, um, the sanctity of human life and yeah. um, the definition of marriage and so on and so forth, family values. And being pro-life was, uh, is very important to me. I, I am a product of adoption. Uh, my birth mother had five kids. All five of us have different fathers. So statistically, I, 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 I view myself as a miracle. It, it, given the circumstances that my birth mother was in, she could have easily chosen the alternative. But she didn't. She 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 chose life for me. My parents who adopted me chose life for me. And so it's not political. It really is personal. And so I've always considered myself to be pro-life. <laughs> but by default, I find myself also supporting the, the death penalty. And Shane, I couldn't give you a concrete reason why. It's just what was suspected that expected out of me, suspected from me. Until my pastor at the time, I want to say roughly around 2004, 2005, 6, around that time era, he, he mentioned the death penalty. He says, well, 
it's very hard to be pro-life and pro-death. Mm. <laughs> wow, what a revelation. And so I, I had to reevaluate my stance and be like, well, if, I, if I'm claiming to be pro-life, mm. Mm. I have to be pro-life all the way. From the womb to the tomb. Yes. From the beginning of life to when the expiration date of our life has come. And I have come to realize that <clears throat> being pro-life is about being pro-life all the way. Yeah. Even for those who live lives drastically different than ours. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and say that if we make poor choices in life, that there are not any consequences or ramifications for those choices. There are. But who mm-hmm. am I? Who am I to say that? someone's life should be should end so just as i believe that the government shouldn't have power um the uh, uh, to, to tell us to abort the unborn i don't think the government should have the power to tell us um to eradicate or to bring it into um, a life i think that puts us uh as playing the role of god and uh, neither one of us are qualified for that so, yeah 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 uh, so that's that's how I came to oppose the death penalty. For first and foremost, it was a moral contradiction to my faith, to my beliefs, and to my values. And I said, Demetrius, if you're going to be pro-life, you need to be consistent. Thanks, man. Yeah. So if y'all are just tuning in, uh, this is Shane Claiborne, and the show's across the pond. My guest, uh, my my brother, my friend, is Demetrius Minor, who is the manager of conservatives concerned about the death penalty. Uh, he's doing a lot of great organizing uh, all over the country here in the U.S. And we know we've got a lot of folks listening in, you know, from uh, the U.K. and around the world. And um, this is what I began to discover, you know, as I was listening to you, Demetrius, that, that you know, we say that we're pro-life, many of us as Christians, but we've really narrowly uh, defined that in terms of one issue. And on a lot of other issues, we haven't so been true. the champions of life. Um, and in fact, in, uh, on the death penalty, uh, the, the, the thing that began to really break my heart is that the death penalty wouldn't stand a chance in the United States without the support of Christians. We've been the steady base of support. 90% of executions happen in the Bible Belt, where Christians are most concentrated. And to this day, the governors and the legislators that are supporting the death penalty um, are Christians, you know, Governor Abbott in Texas, Governor Lee in Tennessee, you know, all over the country, and you, and even on the Supreme Court, you know, so that ethic of life, man, you know, I and, and I think for the death penalty, um, for me, it really raises a fundamental question about um, is anybody beyond redemption? You know, the power of mercy and grace to transform and restore even uh, the worst of us sinners. So, you know, as you as you look at this, you're in. Um, uh, organizing among conservatives. I mean, you're, uh, it's a broad coalition, but you spend a lot of time building bridges and mobilizing conservatives. And yet there's some folks I, I imagine that are thinking just fiscally, right? Just it right. costs more. We know now that it costs more to keep the death penalty yes. than to create alternatives to it, even alternatives like life in prison. But, um, uh, and there's other folks, you know, that just don't trust uh, an imperfect system, right? The right. government, which is, a, you know, 
uh, with this irreversible power of life and death, especially when we know the track record is that for every nine executions, there's been one exoneration. So that's one person proved innocent and released right. from death row. I mean, that's a, I sometimes think if you had 10 planes that, you know, took off and one of them crashed, we'd be like, whoa, we got to stop flying for a while. Right. But, right. That, that, right. That, but what do you see as other motivations? You know, is that some of them or, I mean, some of them, it's, it's their faith too, right. That they, they begin to wrestle with some of those same inconsistencies that you and I sort of named. Right. Yes. And, and you, and you touched on so many good issues. Uh, before I touch on those issues, very quickly, going back to the theological argument against it, Psalms 23 is one of the most memorable passages in Christianity. And we love it. We say it at weddings, funerals, church services, whatever. At the end, David said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mm. Now, this is a danger when you bring a preacher on your show. I'm I'm trying not to (laughs) preach it. But the context of David's life, David was an adulterer and David was a murderer outside of writing the book of Psalms. And he also was a man after God's own heart. So if David can, in the state of his sin, if he can say that goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life, why can't that be applied to those who commit the quote unquote, the worst of sins. Mm. Why can't that be applied to people who are murderers and people who commit the heinous acts, right? It, yeah. It's just a scripture that has, uh, that, that scripture is just totally revolutionized um, my thinking lately. But the conservatives are starting to oppose the death penalty for the reasons you just mentioned. Um, fiscally. It's just not cost effective. And a lot of people do think that it costs more. A lot of people say, well, if if we let them be in prison uh, for the rest of their life, uh, it just costs more of the taxpayer's money. No, that's actually not true. Because as you just mentioned, Shane, it costs more for death penalty trials. The the litigation, the, 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 a new jury, a new trials, attorney fees, because it's not, just a, it's not just a process that happens overnight. Repeal after repeal after repeal. And um, the cost that is accrued during that time period is astronomical. Yeah. When Maryland, before Maryland appealed the death penalty, Maryland spent $185 million, Shane, $185 million for a handful of execution. Yeah. If we think to ourselves, what if that cost could be reallocated towards um, maybe training for law enforcement, benefits for victims' families, or uh, equipping our local community with um, resources for public health and for, for safety? These are conservative positions. And so morality, when you talk about morality, now you and I are aligned, Shane, but what's moral for me may not be moral for my neighbor because morality is subjective, right? But when you talk about numbers and you talk about data, that uh, seems to be a little bit more persuasive Mm. and compelling someone to see the atrocities of the death penalty, if not morally, fiscally. Yeah, and there's a couple of things that you said that I want to, you know, make sure that we... 
we underline a little bit, you know, I, I, it's, it's really encouraging to, to me that this is not, this doesn't have to be a partisan issue that, that folks can have concerns Correct. from wherever they're coming. And, you know, frankly, Demetrius, I, I, I like how, how GK Chesterton, he said, uh, if I'm too conservative for the, for the liberals and too liberal for the conservatives, I might be right where I'm supposed to be. Right. <laughs> you do something you know, right. <laughs> some of this is not about left and right. It's about right, right and wrong. And, and, you know, frankly, when it comes to our presidents and, you know, parties, um, sure. it's something that's shifted, right? Like um, right. Uh, that, that uh, Biden, for instance, was for the death penalty. And he's one of those that has flipped, you know, um, and um, Republican and Democrats have been largely in support of the death penalty until recently. And now that's changing really quickly, right? We, we're, yes. we're seeing like executions drop to historic lows. We're seeing um, new death sentences drop lower and lower. Uh, but then what's interesting to me is that um, a lot of people of faith are stepping up and, and conservatives yes. included, you know, folks that might be theologically conservative, but they, they're looking at these scriptures, you know, like an eye for an eye and well, well wait, but you know, Jesus actually said, you've heard it said an eye for an eye. Right. But I tell you this, let's, let's, let's do. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And last time Whoa. I checked, let's we're not be Better we're theology, not right? Right. Tell right. me where you see some, some of those seeds of hope, you know, spurring yeah. up at, uh, because it's easy to focus on how divided our country is, and our country is divided. Um, but uh, where do you see some of those bridges and some of the openness, the humility, the you know ability to rethink some things happening? So I, I'm very optimistic, Shane. Uh, as we speak, as we record this podcast, this week it is um, CPAC, which stands for Conservative Political Action Conference. It is the largest gathering of conservatives in the nation, and it's taking place one hour from where I live or an hour and a half in the state of Orlando, and I will be in the city of Orlando, Florida, and I'll be attending. For the first time in its history, the topic of death penalty is being presented at the yes. conference. And so while uh, the organization uh, has yet to take a stance for or against it, the fact that they are even presenting it shows that there is a fiscal, political, and cultural shift that's taking place within the conservative movement. And that's bringing me hope. And then if you look at what's happening on a state level, in the state of Ohio, uh, Republican-led House, Republican-led Senate, and Republican governor, um, there is movement right now for Ohio to possibly, um, hopefully, repeal the death penalty by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Given Ohio's status as a political bellwether state, I am hopeful that when it happens, we're going to see a domino effect uh, happen in red states. Um, The state of Virginia, I'm not saying that Virginia is necessarily a red state, but it recently flipped red with the election of Glenn Youngkin as governor. Last year in the spring, they repealed the death penalty. How? Because it was done because of Republican support. And, and and that gives me hope. Utah came very close to repealing the death penalty, a, a, a dominantly, dominantly red state. So I'm yeah. seeing a shift, um, um, Shane, within the conservative movement towards the death penalty. And, and just for folks to, you know, that, that are outside <clears throat> the country a little bit, one of the reasons that Virginia is important to note is that I mean, it's true that almost every year in the United States, a new state abolishes the death penalty. But Virginia, 
Virginia is the first formerly Confederate state to abolish. Yes. And that's important because where the states that held on to slavery the longest, not only are they often the Bible Belt, but they're also the states that continue to hold on the death penalty the longest. And where, you know, lynchings were happening 100 years ago is where yes. executions are happening today. So it's really hard to... Um, divorce our discussion around criminal justice and the death penalty from our history of race, right? And racial yes. justice. And, and, you know, sometimes that does get painted as a progressive thing or a liberal thing, you know, these culture wars around critical race theory and all this stuff. But I want, I want to just push back on something real quick, Demetrius, is that, you know, when I'm looking at the federal, like the federal abolition bill right now to abolish the the, the federal government has the ability to carry out executions. And so that bill um, is, has been largely championed and sponsored by Ayanna Presley and Representative Espiat in the House and Senator Durbin in the Senate. And those are all Democrats, you know? Sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I feel the hope and I'm, I'm ready for some moral courage um, on okay. all sides of this. But do you see some of the folks that might be um, taking a little risk to uh, step out for criminal justice reform and specifically, you know, for the abolition, you know, that might be conservative or Republican. Sure, sure. You, you know, any it seems like these days, um, anytime you get uh, a politician to give you a definitive yes on, on any subject matter, it, it takes a, an act of courage, uh, yeah. which uh, is a little ironic because they're elected to go there um, uh, into to make decisions based on uh, the beliefs of their constituencies, right? So I, I'm not sure on a federal level who is going to step up to the plate, um, but uh, within the realm of conservative beliefs and conservative practices, um, you know, there's the foundation belief that states are more equipped to make decisions um, than, than the overall federal government. Listen, we don't trust the federal government to give us up-to-date COVID numbers. <laughs> why, why would we trust the federal government uh, to actually make a decisive decision uh, that's literally about life and death? So if someone on the federal level is not stepping up to the plate, this is when we're going to look to state governors, state legislators, uh, to make the appropriate action to repeal the death penalty. Yeah, man. And I'm, I'm with you. I think that, you know, we've reached out to a number of the, the governors and legislators in the states and even at the federal level, you know, I think the door is open. And uh, I, I, I really do believe that this is a time where we need that sort of prophetic moral courage, you know, uh, yes. like, um, it didn't take courage to say slavery was wrong a generation after we ended it. You know, it took courage to say it's wrong when that was status quo. That was, you know, accepted. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I think we're going to look back in a similar way at the death penalty in the U.S. and go, how did we think that was all right? And how did Christians use the Bible to justify it? So I'm so right. grateful for your, your courage on this. And in the last few minutes, I thought, you know, I, I want to I was reading this book. I don't know if you've uh, read uh, Kirsten Powers' book, uh, Saving Grace, but one of the things that she talks about in it is how divided our country is, right? Yes. And, um, and uh, that that we're also heavily armed, <laughs> you know, like we, and, and so all of these divisions, you know, what we saw on January 6th at, at the Capitol, like these create some mm. concerns. But one of the, the, the studies that Kirsten cites is, um, uh, it's called More in Common. 
and it shows that 80% of uh, conservatives think that liberals are brainwashed and 80% of uh, liberals think that conservatives are brainwashed. And it goes on to say that they think each other are evil and that they, a, a large majority of both, you know, the left and the right things think, and this is what got me, man, that the world would be better off without that other group of people. And we're talking like almost half the country, right? Like the world would be better off without them. And one of the things that it showed is the extremes have a very inaccurate um, perception of the other. And the most inaccurate was the progressives of conservatives. So, I, I, you know, all of that just, I, I was reading it going, man, this is, this is, especially for people of faith, right? Um, right. Believe that we need this humility to listen and to, to lean in. And yet believe that we need to call wrong, wrong, like at January 6th, you know, in these yes. things all the conditions that led up to that. So tell me where you're seeing some cracks. <laughs> I'm looking to you for some hope, man, where, where you see some humility. Because uh, I, I think that self-righteousness is also nonpartisan and it's so toxic, right? So where do you see it's that? It's very toxic. Of- it's very toxic, Shane. I, I try to focus on what unites us, that yeah. separates us. Um, that We have more in common than... Um, then we have um, that we don't have in common. So if we can be united around a theme of, first of all, faith and then family, then let's try to find the middle ground. Let's try to find out what we agree on. We're not going to agree on everything. And that's great. That's fine. Um, that's the beauty of, of, of the country that we reside in. But let's focus more on what unites us in, instead of what divides us. And then little by little, we start to make this world a better place. Mm, I firmly you, believe that. I'm not just I'm not just blowing smoke. I, I I believe that within the fiber of my being. I really do. I do too. And and for those who have a hard time, then we just say that old prayer. I want to believe, help my unbelief, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> but thank you. Y'all, we're out of time. It flew by. My my friend, my guest today has been Demetrius Minor, uh, who heads up conservatives concerned about the death penalty. And we're praying for you and cheering you on this week, man, as you go to CPAC and you really have that thank conversation. You. Um, thank you all for tuning in, whether you consider yourself left or right. What's most important is that we're grounded in this and centered around Jesus. So thank you for joining me and, uh, we'll see you next week at Across the Pond. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about Red Letter Christians, please visit redletterchristians.org for resources, upcoming events, and to connect with other people who are passionate about Jesus and justice. You can follow Shane Claiborne and Red Letter Christians on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you'd like to support our work with a one-time gift or by becoming a monthly sustainer of the movement, please visit our website and click on the red donate button. Thank you for tuning in.